are very glad to be part of the citizens of the United States of America and the great heritage in this country. There we go. And so I want to share with you today a sermon that I entitled American Identity Crisis. It's always interesting as someone who lives out of the country for much of the time to come back uh, after a few years and see some of the changes. And those changes are not always good changes. We live down, we live one block from a homeless encampment. And we lived there 20 years ago and we never saw that type of a thing. And now it's, it's there and it's right in front of our eyes and almost right in front of our home. I'm talking about in the U.S., not in Ukraine. And so America is in, a, in an identity crisis. People are searching for their identity. And they're going to all kinds of drastic measures to change their identity. And I believe that they're doing it in a desperate hope that somehow that will relieve their depression, their discontentment, their frustrations, their anger, or their lack of self-worth. That somehow they will find this magical solution to the fulfillment that they're looking for in a new identity. And it's very, very common, in, especially in America today, to find people change their identity in one way or another. One of the things that I like to do from time to time when I want to know what is influencing America, what are the great influencers on American thought today, there's something that you can do. You can go to Amazon and look at the top books that are being sold. And you will find really how Americans are thinking and what is influencing them. Or go to New York Times bestseller list, you will also find the same thing. And what I found is something interesting. There's a book published last year called Untamed, it was published by a woman named Glennon Doyle, and it has remained on the top five of the New York Times bestsellers for the last 68 weeks. So over a year and counting. It is still, I believe, in the top five, maybe number three in uh, religion and spirituality. And what the book is, is a memoir that describes her life as a discontent wife and mother of three, who one day falls in love with another woman, and the process of getting a divorce, and going after this other woman, and becoming a lesbian. And it has been hailed as this amazing book that shows how you can find your true identity and happiness. In fact, the tagline for the book says, this is how you find yourself. Although I might give it a different tagline, this is how you destroy your family. Unfortunately, her story represents millions of Americans. But what if we go back to our founding fathers? What would they think about something like this? Where did they find their identity? we discover that there was really no question in their minds about American identity and about personal identity. 
because it was based on a strong and unwavering faith in the identity of God. So I want to share with you a quote from John Adams. John Adams, he was one of the founding fathers. He was the first vice president, the second president of the United States of America. And if you've never looked into history, it's interesting. He has a lot of correspondence uh, that we find with Thomas Jefferson. And a lot of it happens after his presidency. When he was president, Thomas Jefferson was his vice president. And at that time, the president and vice president were uh, in opposing parties. And, and so they had a little kind of back and forth going. And so in these letters, they kind of go back and forth. And John Adams in this letter, he is actually defending his stance and his adherence to those founding principles of the United States of America. And in his defense of the founding principles, he says this to, in a letter to Thomas Jefferson. He says, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which that beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And these principles only could be intended by them in their address or by me in my answer. And what were these general principles? I answered the general principles of Christianity in which all those sects were united, and the general principles of English and American liberty, in which all these young men united, and which had united all parties in America, in majority sufficient to assert and maintain her independence. Now, I will avow that I then believed, and now believe, that those general principles of Christianity as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God, and those principles of liberty as unalterable as human nature and our terrestrial mundane system. So what is he saying here? He's saying that our nation was founded upon the principles of, of God's existence and his attributes and his character. Unfortunately, many are losing that understanding today. And what I want to say here is that in all identity crises are really about losing the identity of God. When we lose our own identity, it's because we lost the identity of God. And so I want to take you back, and I think that you might be familiar with this verse here, Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Think about this. These are the very, very first words, literal words of God to a new nation that he was forming, a nation that must have an identity. And God says, here is the, the most important thing for you to know and to understand is who I am. If you want to have an identity for yourself, you must first understand who God is and his identity. Understand God's identity and worship him and you will find your own identity. And that's where so many have gotten confused today and they've gone off searching for their own identity outside of God. And I want to tell you, just stop searching for your own identity and search for God instead and you will find your identity. What happens when a nation or a group of people lose the truth of who God is? We find this also in the Old Testament because it happened. They rejected the truth of who God is. And when they rejected it, here's what happens. 
2 Kings 17, 15, they rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. But notice that one phrase there. It says, they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Is it not a surprise today that so many people are struggling with this idea of self-worth? And they're told, look inside. Dig deeper inside to to find some sort of worth. To find some sort of self-esteem. And the more they dig and the deeper they go, the more hopeless they get and the less self-esteem they have because there's really nothing of eternal value that they can find there because they have lost God. You'll never find that infinite and everlasting and ever-loving and ever-able value within yourself. You'll only find it in God. Paul describes further how this turn away from God's identity looks in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. He says... For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to, in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served and created things rather than the Creator who is, to be, who is forever praised. Amen. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they had not, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, ought, so they do what ought not to be done. It's interesting that always at the forefront of a loss of identity and the loss of God is sexual deviance and confusion. Why? Because your sex or your gender is a core aspect of your unchangeable God-given nature. Furthermore, procreation, marriage, family are all divinely ordered elements that God has placed within society. It is a biblical part of our identity. And so to live according to my God-given gender and the nature that God has given me is to somehow acknowledge that there is someone, something greater and sovereign in my life. And when I reject God, I must reject those things as well. And so man will go to all kinds of means and methods in order to become his own creator. To become the one who forms his own nature. Who gives him his own gender of his choice. Or whatever it may be. So how did American culture get to this point? There's three lies that I think that really are underlying this identity crisis in America. And the first lie is simply this. You are good. You're good. 
We moved to Tacoma in 1999 so I could study at Northwest Baptist Seminary, and we moved to this little uh, apartment in, uh, right in downtown Tacoma, right across the street from Wright Park, right on the edge of the hilltop neighborhood there, and it was not necessarily the safest place, but the following summer, there was a murder in the park. There was about eight or nine young children, 11, 12, 13, and 16 years old. And they were going around all summer at night and just beating people, men, meeting, finding some individual and just beating them until he was unconscious. Well, they ended up killing one of them. And finally, they were caught. And I remember on the news, they interviewed one of the mothers of one of these 12 or 13 or 16-year-old boys. And they interviewed the mother as her son is being tried for murder because they had beat this man with their fists and with their elbows and with their knees and with croquet clubs until he was dead. And they interviewed the mother and she said, well, you know, he's not really a bad kid. I was like, wait, how many... People, does your child have to murder before he becomes a bad kid? That we've redefined the whole understanding of bad and evil, and we're, we're, we're no longer, we don't understand what it is anymore. We think everyone is good, and it doesn't have anything to do with what they actually do. Interesting that Jesus had a certain man come to him in Luke 18, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, Jesus caught him. He caught this mentality that here was this man coming to Jesus, and he wasn't coming to him as a sinner coming to a Savior. He was coming to him as, you know, a pretty good person coming to another good person. And I think that mentality typifies our society today. And what happens when we tell an evil person that he is good? When we tell a sinful person that he is good? First of all, he will see himself as an exception to all the rules. If he breaks the law, he says, wait a minute, I've been told I was good all my life. So how could a good person do a bad thing? If I broke a law, that must law must not really apply to me. And he will see himself as an exception to the rule. But there's another thing that happens, and that is he will see himself as a victim So listen, I'm a good person. So if I did something bad, and I can't really, you know, excuse it or or somehow justify it, then then what I'm going to say is I only did it because other people made me do it. It wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. And so stealing, rioting, looting, disregard for law and order are not the individual's fault anymore. All these sinful and illegal activities are simply the result of being a victim by someone else or some other group or some other situation. This justification is as old as sin itself, isn't it? What do we see in the Garden of Eden? God says to Adam, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. What is he doing? He's being a victim. He became a victim of his wife. He said, it's not my fault that I fell into sin. It's my wife's fault. It's this other gender over here, or this other group over here, or this other race over here, and it's their fault that I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Just pass it off. Pass it off to someone else. 
We need to return in our thinking to the idea of the sinfulness of man. And I'm convinced this is one of the most difficult things to do in American culture today. Because before we can convince them of the truth of the gospel, they have to come to an understanding of sin. And we've excused it, and we've told people they're good, and we must somehow bring ourselves and others to that point. Second lie is this. You can do anything. You can do anything. Motivational speaker Tony Robbins tells his eager, successful-oriented listeners that you can get anything you want with five simple steps. Interesting. Four of them have to do with just asking for it. And his last step says this. Ask until you get what you want. It's like, wait, that's what my three-year-old did. And then he says, belief in failure is a way of poisoning the mind. Says Tony Robbins, whose marriage failed after 15 years. You know, th these are lies. This is not true. Failure is a reality that we must understand. Sin is a reality that we must understand. We cannot do anything we want. The truth is, who can do anything? Only God. Only God can do anything. In fact, later in this story, uh, Jesus goes to his disciples, and when the disciples heard that Jesus is harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go to eye, through the eye of a needle, he says, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, you can't do anything. You're limited. You're limited in your time that you have to live. You're limited in your strength and your ability. You're limited in your knowledge. You are finite. You have limits, but God doesn't. And that's a good thing. In fact, God is compassionate and He knows that we have limits. And He understands our limits. It says in Psalm 103 that He is a Father who has compassion on His children, knowing their limits and being willing to help them and aid them. He is, in verse 17, says, from everlasting to everlasting. How much better is to humbly acknowledge that than to pretend like we can do anything and put ourselves in the place of God. And the third lie, third lie is this. Follow your heart, be true to yourself. And I really believe that this is probably at the heart of some of the greatest pains in relationships in America today. Because millions of people have followed their heart away from their husband, away from their wife, away from their children, away from their family, away from their church, and away from their God. They followed a sinful heart. And so what does this look like? It looks something like this. I have to do what's right for me. I'm not going to put aside my happiness for the sake of others' happiness. Listen to that little voice from within and do what makes you happy. And they all have... a the same thing at the root. A driving and guiding life force from within. Now, let's just think about it this way. Go hop in your car, 
and just step on the gas and take your hands off the steering wheel. The car should know where to go, right? We all know how that's going to end, right? It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's going to end up in the ditch. And yet we're approaching child raising that way. We're approaching our own lives that way without any guidance system except our own whims and our emotions which swing back and forth. And today, when you want something, go get it, because that's your heart's desire. Tomorrow, that thing no longer satisfies you. So get rid of it and go to the next thing. And it's like we're just we're following some sort of fluid point that is constantly moving. And so people are fluid in their jobs, they're fluid in their relationships, and they're fluid in their gender. Because today I want to be this way, tomorrow I want to be that way. Isn't fluid just another way of saying unstable, unfaithful, lack of direction? Our lives demand a point of reference to follow that is unchanging, a point that can't be moved. Can't be moved by our emotions, can't be moved by our finances, can't be moved by our relationships, can't be moved by our children, can't be moved by politics, can't be moved by sickness, a point that does not change, even if everything around us changes. We need a point to follow that is outside of ourselves, and that gives us hope and confidence. So instead of following your heart, the truth is we are lost and need to follow Christ. Let me conclude with this verse, Mark 8, 34 through 37. This is the call of Christ, and it goes against the call of our culture today. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? May we not forfeit our soul searching for identity outside of God. Look for God. Find your identity in Him. Find your identity in Christ and not in yourself. Seek goodness in God and not in self. Trust in God's ability to do anything and not in your own ability to do anything. And follow the, Christ, the cross of Christ and not your selfish desires. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us a very clear way to go, and that is to follow Christ. We thank you that as those who believe in the gospel, we are clear about the identity of ourselves because we are clear about who you are. You created us. You love us. You know us. You have saved us.